So, hi everyone, and welcome to episode six of Zoology Ramblings. Um, hi! <laughs> hello, everyone! Sorry we haven't done one of these for a while, we've been quite busy. Um, we've got a new sort of project we're working on um, with Biome. Um, Which is very exciting, and I think we can tell people about it, can't we? Yeah, yeah, that's... I yeah, mean, yeah. Yeah, let's so, do. So we're doing a very exciting video collaboration with um, a production company called Grizzly. We're working on a um, natural history video podcast on YouTube together called Biome. So I think it's Biome by Grizzly on YouTube, which you can check out. Our first video podcast about beavers is already out, where we went far too... <laughs> Off topic, talking about beaver testicles. We always and... do, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> it's always something like anal scent glands always comes up in any work we produce. Yeah. Um, don't take that the wrong way. It's just lots of things in nature have anal scent glands. Lots of things have scent glands. It's They're very yeah. useful things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've been working on that and I think they're going to try and release kind of an, an episode a week I think so there's lots of content coming out we've got a massive backlog of kind of ospreys and curlews and what else have we done links we've, we've links. done links yeah we um, did um canned hunting again because in, you know yeah. you can never get enough of canned hunting oh shark fin trade as well from a whole yeah. different angle so if you listen to our zoology ramblings about shark finning um it's a completely different standpoint so it's looking at it more from the side of the uk and how involved we are so don't think that you're going to get sort of replicating information we're going to try and keep it as varied as possible on the different channels um so and yeah. also heads heads up when you listen to the the new shark fin one it's a real heart tugger turns out we're really really bad <laughs> and we were eating sharks in our fish and chips but anyway that's a anyway. whole <laughs> So what are we going to talk about today? Because we're very sorry it's taken this long to put out another episode, but we're back. And we've got a little bit of a variation from the normal theme at the moment. Yeah, so this week we're not going to do our normal Animal of the Week global um, wildlife topic and then local one. We thought we're just going to do talk about two specific animals that Roby and I wanted to talk about. So um, we're going to go into a lot of depth, so don't worry, it's not gonna you're not going to lose any awesome content this week um so <laughs> and actually that now this means we might go into more depth on these animals than we would normally so you might get a whole half hour <laughs> of really boring paleontology about something because you know it's all like this is of. just secretly a way for us to be able to ramble even more about the animal yes, of the week yeah it's, it's all a plot it's all it's all planned um, it's, it's a good plot I, I personally think it's a very good plot i mean i just love plotting it's all i do yeah, it's, it's great. We love scheming and plotting <laughs> about animals. It's, <laughs> it's brilliant. So what are you going to talk about this week, Roby? I am going to talk about the cave bear versus <gasps> Spileus, so an extinct cool. bear species from the Ice Age. And what are you going to talk about, Emma? I'm going to talk about gelada baboons, which are not actually baboons, but yeah, they live in so... Ethiopia. <laughs> We're actually going to be talking about cave bears and just geladas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Shall I kick it off? Yes, please do. So, my kind of in-depth species of the week this week is the cave bear, Ursus spileus, or spileus? How would you pronounce that, Emma? Spileus? How do you spell it? S-P-E-L-A-E-U-S. I'd say spileus. Spileus? I think, I think Spileus. I mean, it means cave bear. So Ursus is the, um, the, the genus of bear, which also includes brown bears, black bears, Himalayan black bears, polar bears. Um, and Spileus is Latin for 
cave. So it's a it's a cave bear. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a bear. It's a, lives in a cave. It's a it's a it's a cave bear. It, it does what it says on the tin, you know. <laughs> I love it when <laughs> when Latin names are, are nice like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I mean, if you saw a cave bear today, you might superficially think, oh, it's just you know a brown bear or a grizzly, but no. Cave bears were heckin' massive, and large males may have weighed up to a thousand kilograms, which is one whole ton. What? Wait, no, 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 like... That's a... Yeah, yeah, that's a ton of bear. What? Because, no, we... Okay, we've been on a bison tangent recently, and bison can weigh 800 kilos. That's more than a bison. Yeah, that that's a, quite... That's 200 kilos more than a bison, <laughs> if you do the math. <laughs> So yeah, that's twice as heavy as a big grizzly. Um, so these were really, really big bears. And they lived during the Pleistocene, which is the Ice Ages. Um, did they we went have them extinct here in, in the UK? We did indeed. They Ooh. went extinct in Britain during the late Pleistocene and then extinct globally around 22,000 years BC. So unfortunately, we don't have any cave bears anymore. I want, I, a, I want a hecking big 1,000 kilo bear just walking around. <laughs> and you know what? You might have been fine because it was completely vegetarian. Really? Yeah. Unlike the grizzly, which is only mostly vegetarian, contrary to popular belief, most of the grizzly diet is vegetarian. We know from stable isotope analysis um, that the cave bear was almost completely vegetarian. Some populations may have had a little bit little bit of omnivory going on. That, um, that really surprised me because if I assume the clo- its closest relative would be the brown bear. Yes, they are is, sister species. Which is yeah. omnivorous. And then obviously you've yeah. got the grizzly, which takes lots of salmon. Mm. Um, but I guess, I don't know, we do have bears like panda. I know, I don't know if mm. that's yeah. in the same... Is it still Ursus? Pandas, pandas aren't, a, uh, aren't Ursus. They're a Liripoda. So they're really kind of basal in the whole bear group bears are quite a small lineage like you've only got is it seven or eight species alive today uh hang on how many bears are there hang on brown bear black bear panda uh andean polar polar. uh there's another one himalayan black and black seven species of bear no sun bear and sloth bear nine okay there's nine species of bear (laughs) (laughs) so so there's not many kinds of bear um but yes the brown bear and the cave bear are sister species um and what's quite interesting about that is that leads segues very nicely into their evolution (gasps) you love love a bit of evolution (laughs) i do yeah so both the cave bear and the brown bear are thought to derive from an ancestor, a common ancestral ancestor, which was the Pleistocene Etruscan bear, Ursus uh, Etruscus. Yeah, which was a kind of like an Italian bear, obviously. Um, how, how big was that one? Was that kind of... Do you know, I don't know. I would expect smaller. Mm. I would expect smaller than, than both of, the, both of them. Um, but even though there's so few bear species and they're quite a compact lineage, their genetics are really confusing. Like, we could do a whole podcast on just brown bear genetics. Um, but the cave bear is just as confusing. Um, I think so Ursids, it, f- it is quite, their evolution is quite confusing. And I think as well, kind of closest re- relative to, uh, to Ursids as well. That's a whole other kind of evolutionary tangent. Isn't that a thing we did when it was like, is it seals? Is it mustelids? Who knows? Yeah. And then didn't, wasn't there an answer? Who, who is it in the end? Um... 
Oh my god, this is a test. I can't remember that lecture. <laughs> I want to say it was... that was seals, wasn't it? I thought it was seals, yeah. Wait, I'm going to do a quick Google so that... Are you going to do a quick Google so we're not wrong? Yes. <laughs> Basically, there was a, there was a long-running, um, you know, controversy about who the bear's closest relations were. We knew that mustelids, so like pine martens and badgers, and then seals and sea lions and bears formed a group of three. But obviously we didn't know out of that group of three who the closest two were and who was who was like the odd one out. Um so yeah, they are, bears are the closest living relatives to the pinnipeds, canids, and mustaloids. Okay. Um, because they're all in Caniformia, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right, it's Caniformia. Yeah. So most, most living carnivorans, in fact, I think all living carnivorans, you can split into two distinct clades. Caniforms, which is bears, dogs, mustelids, seals, and then feliforms, which is cats, hyenas... Um, that's a whole know, other in, thing. You, that's a whole hyenas other thing. Oh are part of the feliforms, which is associated with cats. Whereas some people think they look more dog-like. We we need to do yeah. something about hyenas as well. We should because we're big on like I'm. We're very big on hyena equality. Like everyone always says, <laughs> oh, the spotted hyena. You only ever see it's the only one you see in the documentaries. But there are many other types of hyena out there. There are okay. some of them. I don't know <laughs> if it's hyena or related, but the um. What's that funky looking one? It's kind of got like silky hair, very kind of... The, the, the main hyena? Yes. Yeah, that's the one. The one which was of. in a recent documentary, wasn't it? Yeah. In in Botswana, uh, Namibia. They're so amazing. Yeah, but yeah, cool. like you say, you only ever see the spotted ones. And it's like, yeah. we need hyena representation. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the evolution of the cave bear. So what's weird about the cave bear is obviously their bones are found in caves all across Europe, hence why they're named. Um... But there are really variable species. And because of this, there's been many different species and subspecies which have been identified and named, um, including like high altitude dwarf forms, Ooh. large lowland forms. I know, <laughs> a high altitude dwarf form. I love it. So um, wait, so that would mean it's, it would obviously not have the same massive sizes as the other cave No, bear. they would be smaller. Is that yeah. an adaptation to sort of cold high altitude? Like if you're smaller, is that kind of less surface area yeah i mean so in in terms of um like latitude so like you tend to find larger animals further north and south you go because i think isn't that bergman's rule um whereas in terms of altitude because you're both very high up you need all these adaptations to the cold but you also need adaptation to quite a narrow habitat belt so stuff like snow leopards are smaller than leopards i know they're not massively closely related but that's an example and like mountain goats are smaller than lowland goats and that sort of thing yeah. um and also because like reduced food sources so you get smaller it's kind of like island you know insular dwarfism but on a mountain yeah yeah, yeah. Um, that makes sense yeah so we had a bit of a taxonomic mess when we were looking at cave bears because there were like a bajillion different subspecies and a bajillion different species and no one kind of knew what was going on and everyone was just... People were just naming them left, right and centre, um, <laughs> which just got a bit annoying really. But now it is thought that the cave bear lineage represents a single chrono species, which is a reproductively isolated species complex changing through time so that the oldest species may look completely different from the newest species, but you can track how they've changed throughout okay. time. So that would be 
single lineage then just changing yeah. as sort yeah. of, I assume, clim- climate changed or kind of habitat yeah. adaptations, things like that. It's a bit like, you know, A, B, C, D, all in the same alphabet. It's all one line, but D does not look the same as A. I so quite like, like B- that. that. That's yeah. quite a nice way of explaining a lineage, I think. Also, like, A could mate with B, and B could mate with A and C, because they're next to each other, but B couldn't mate with D. D could only mate with C. What comes after D in the A, B, C, D? E. <laughs> e. <laughs> so could you, can you get hybridised forms of cave bears, or was it kind of more... Just Do you know, I have no idea. I'm sure you could, but actually, now that I say that, um, a very interesting thing about cave bears is that you've got caves in the bottom of the mountain. So on the same mountain, you've got caves at low altitude and caves at high altitude, and yet the genetic lines of the bears in each cave never overlapped. Really? So even on one mountain, you've got two completely you know, distinct forms of the same species, but completely isolated reproductively that's really interesting because obviously you get that with kind of fish and things like that where you have sort of reproductively and genetically isolated fish based on the depth within Mm. um sort of a certain lake um but yeah i hadn't kind of crossed my mind that you could get that with with caves (laughs) well you know you've got sky you know those sky islands yeah you get them in like Ethiopia where like the, the tops of the plateaus are like so isolated from everything else around them that they've become their own little weird thing. You got the same thing with cave bears in different caves. Um, oh, that's a cool uh, link with them. When we yeah. talk about geladas later, that's, I know. that's them. <laughs> um, so yeah, you've got the, the oldest form of cave bear was a middle Pleistocene form called Ursus deningeri, which has got quite a strong record in Britain, actually. Um, and then it looks like Deningeri gave rise to myriad other cave bear forms, including like the baseline Ursus spileus. The, the Heckin yeah. massive one. The Heckin massive one, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so yeah, that's very interesting about the cave bear. Another very interesting thing is the reason we find all their bones in caves, because they were hibernators. Okay, so I guess that's yeah. something that's been maintained across several different bear species because that's kind of characteristic yeah. of like mm. brown bears today in yeah they have these big hibern- hibernation kind of but that that's less in caves i'd say it's more kind yeah. of underground and cave... and kind of yeah under rocks and stuff and cave bears are weirdly tied to caves so you can look at the bones and you can look at the genetics and you can see that a single bear lineage will come back to one cave every single year and there seems to be no flexibility with that. They would always come back to the same cave. Is is that an issue then? I'm not sure. Conflict with with people, because obviously absolutely people like Neanderthals and then our own species Homo sapiens, um, which were oh, are you a sapiens or a sapiens? Girl? I don't know. I kind of changed my mind halfway <laughs> through the sentence. <laughs> I, I think I normally say sapiens. Yeah, I think I probably say sapiens but they would come back to the same caves um yeah and exactly and not just humans but also cave lions and cave hyenas because this this raises a really intriguing question in paleontology we only ever see the skeletons of the ones that didn't make it there's no kind of fossil evidence of kind of ones that well all all the cave bear skeletons we have from caves are either 
young individuals or old individuals which were too weak to make it through hibernation or they were individuals which were predated upon by cave lions and cave hyenas which didn't hibernate and so these hibernating bears a ton of bear is a lot of food if you're a cave lion you can sneak up on it while it's while it's sleeping so we've got a preservation bias in the fossil record towards it's the same with dinosaurs we invariably only see the skeletons of the ones that died early yeah no that's or died in, or died in interesting full... ways full kind of spectrum then of kind of what was going on with their behavior i think that that's the the cool thing about fossils but also the challenge is it's like trying to piece everything together this is a a bit of a tangent but it links to cave lions and just kind of the preservation and stuff i very excitedly sent roby a picture yesterday of this um, (laughs) step bison um which had been mummified in alaska and so it's been so, so perfectly preserved that you can see kind of all the horns, all the skin. And there was actually kind of, you could, there was a, a piece of cave lion tooth that was left inside this skin when the paleontologist was looking at it. Um, oh, I love that and so much. just, I found it, that you were able to piece all that together from having an entire carcass, which I think is so much more than you might be able to do having a fossil or bones, yeah. like just yeah. standalone bones. And, and speaking of, of trace elements, cave bears have left a really rich record of that because obviously when they go to sleep in their caves, they kind of, you know, wriggle themselves in and they make a nice little den. So a lot of European caves, you can go and you can see these lovely, like, bowl-shaped depressions where the bears have been sleeping. That's so yeah. cool. <laughs> and and scratches. For, for ages, people didn't realise who could be making these scratches up the cave wall because it's too high for any person to get to. And it's these cave bears as they reached up to, to sharpen their claws. Um, and you've also got bear shine, which is obviously you've seen like the documentaries of grizzly bears like rubbing their backs on yeah, trees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cave bears did that in caves, and because one lineage would always come back to the same cave, you've got these caves with these beautiful shiny walls because the bears have just been rubbing. That's amazing. It. Those ca- caves must be stunning from kind of a paleozoology yeah. perspective. Just yeah. Oh, can we go and to a? In- um, a cave bear cave, please. Well, shall we go to Montespan Cave in the Pyrenees? Because Montespan Cave looks very cool. Because not only have you got these bear shine on the walls, you've also got... It was a cave that was inhabited by both people and bears. And in some cases, you've got cave bear scratches and then human artwork. And in Ooh. some places, you've got artwork and ca- then cave bear scratches. So, you know... Was this art? This is an this is an idea. I must credit to um, Ross Barnett in his excellent book, The Missing Links. You know, he suggests, um, may, is human art just a way of saying, oh, this is a cave for humans, and you know, painting over the scratches of the bears? Mm. Isn't that an interesting idea? No, that's r- yeah. yes. I think we definitely need to go to that. <laughs> <laughs> the other cool thing about Monspan Cave is that, um, you know, as you mentioned earlier cave bears likely presented a very good winter food source for us if we could because if if you think about it one family of cave bears always comes back to the same cave that means every winter you know if you hang out there you've got a cave bear to eat um and in montespan cave there's actually an ancient clay sculpture of a bear which has been sculpted and then they they stuck a cave bear skull onto the front of it and the the sculpture has been stabbed with spear tips wow. so almost like target practice of 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 people you know teaching each other okay when you come up on a creepy on a sleeping bear that's where you put the spear i guess it just i don't know just, I, I found it interesting because you know. i was reading so the book you just mentioned the missing links um hmm. saying how neanderthals 
were kind of more able to coexist with cave bears and mm. they kind of lived alongside each other for possibly hundreds, if not thousands of years. Whereas mm. as soon as the rise of the Homo sapiens started, that mm. was when you started to see the sculptures and the kind of the spearing. Yeah. And I think, I, I don't know, Ross Barner was saying that that was kind of when it, you saw a, a crash in, in cave bear numbers. And for, uh, Yeah, that was 45,000 years ago. Yeah. So it's yeah. with the with the rise of our own species, as we see with so many things, we have the decline <laughs> of others. Um, yeah, and that's quite a good, uh, quite a good, uh, you know, pivot to talk about the extinction of the cave bear because obviously they are extinct now, um, and it seems to be because obviously cave bears are extinct. Their sister species, the brown bear, is not extinct, and it seems to be because the cave bear was more of a specialist than the brown bear, and it was less behaviorally and ecologically flexible. Um, and so, because we know that cave bear lineages were tied to the same caves for generations brown bears are flexible enough to change their hibernating sites. If a bunch of humans turn up one day and start nicking the cave, the brown bears can, you know, wander off down the mountain and find a different spot. But if cave bears had to come back to the same cave every year, then, you know, this kind of generational hunting would have a massive impact. Yeah. Um, And I guess also with regards to specialisation, would the fact that they are vegetarian have played a role? Obviously, if they have to stick with the same plant groups mm. and they can't diversify i imagine that would be limiting i would i would have thought so yeah because obviously the brown bear is much more omnivorous so it could switch if you know it, times got hard and the plant food declined it could switch to a bit of carnivory and if the cave bear couldn't do that um especially because the end of the pleistocene was really climatically you know all over the shop no no one knew what was happening <laughs> um so i guess that would also yeah have a have have an impact and you know very sadly the the youngest cave bear fossils are 24,000 years old from a cave in northern Italy and that was probably the last stronghold of of the cave bear um before so it's it been extinct. quite quite a while then since um, yeah. humans and bears have kind of well cave bears have lived alongside each other yeah but brown bears are still here and they should be the focus of our conservation aims um, I just thought, you know, the cave bear was quite a fascinating species. We've got a massive human connection to them. We hunted them. We lived in the same caves as them. Um, and some really interesting genetics and evolution. And also they were heckin' massive. No, they're awesome. I feel like I didn't know much about cave bears, but now I'm yeah. probably going to go on a massive cave bear tantrum when I get off <laughs> this, this call. <laughs> oh, so do awesome. you want to take it away with your in-depth species of the week? Yep. Sounds good. So, as I said before, I'm going to talk about geladas, and they. I'm going to try and not call them gelada baboons, even though that's kind <laughs> of what what they're known as, because they aren't actually baboons. Interestingly, so they are Theropi- Theropithecus gelada, um, is their Latin name. So they are actually the sole survivor of a group of monkeys known as the Theropithecus monkeys. And these are monkeys that once dominated Africa. They were really plentiful. They were found almost across most of sort of East Africa and a lot of the continent. And now geladas are the the only species left of the Therapithecus group. And am I right in thinking, so if geladas are in the genus Therapithecus, I I think baboons are in the genus Cercopithecus? They are in the genus Papio. Oh, are they in Papio? Papio oh, so yeah. Cercopithecus, sorry, is the old world monkeys. Yeah. Cercopithecoidea. 
And then you've got the two lineages within Papio, which is the baboons, and Therapithecus, which is. Okay, okay. And Therapithecus, I would think, means. Is that beast monkey in Latin? I'm not sure, actually. I was going to say it was something to link. Something linked to their grazing habits because they are grass mm. eaters. So what? And defines, that's what makes Therapithecus yeah. interesting. So what okay. defines Therapithecus is these um, grass-eating monkeys. So I love this description of them. Someone said it's a monkey with the diet and habits of a cow, um, <laughs> and that just it sums them up so well um, because they spend all day grazing. Um, they just yeah shuffle around, eat. I think. 90% of their diet is made up of blades of grass and they can spend up to 10 hours a day eating grass. So, yeah. <laughs> how do how do they still how do they still do all their monkey stuff because grass is like very poor in terms of nutrients. But presumably they have I mean what's their social life like? Are they are they particularly social monkeys? Yeah, they have incredibly complex kind of social lives and they're actually one of the most peaceful monkeys that we have on the planet and it's partly because mm. Grass is so nutritionally poor, but they spend up to 10 Mm. hours a day eating grass. So they don't have Mm. that much energy to expend in things like fighting. Um, Oh, so so they so it's they're peaceful because they don't have the energy to to to, you know, waste on on like contest bouts and hierarchy. Yeah. And so that's the main reason. And then also they just have really, really complex sort of social lives. So they kind of. They have reproductive units. That's kind of the smallest group that they have. So that's okay. usually one to 12 females. They're young and then like one to four males. Um, and then they can come together and form bands. So these are groups of up to 27 reproductive units. Um, mm-hmm. And then you also have all male groups as well. So just like bachelorettes. The boys. Yeah, the boys. They don't really know. <laughs> they haven't got their a family of their own. They're not looking after females. They just all hang out together. Um, and and in those units is one of the four males in in the in the family unit the small one is is there a dominant male or do the four share 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 the share the role because I'm I'm assuming like most monkeys they are a patriarchal society. Well, interestingly, I think that kind of flips depending how big the groups get. Because okay. if you had a small reproductive unit, you would have a dominant male who kind of has the right to to breed with yeah. the females. But when you have you have lots and lots of females in a group, more than the male, and they can actually overpower a male and kind of take charge sometimes. So you have an element mm. of matriarchy, which is... Love that. Yeah. And that's that's quite different <laughs> to, to other baboons. So things like the Hamadryas baboon, you've got an exclusive... Oh, they look, they look scary. They are. I mean, this is... I'll go back to them, but like... They so they have a, a a male a dominant male who's basically in charge mm. of everything and it's kind of like mm. a a punishment kind of system hierarchy that they work in so if the female strays too far away like he'll yeah. bite her it's aggressive it they they go to war how pleasant like they have Hamadryas <laughs> have war with other troops there's kidnappings they kid other Ooh, other troops lovely. kidnap females like yeah not so lovely <laughs> so it's actually thought that that's one of the reasons why geladas are now the only group of therapithecus monkeys left is yeah. because you had sort of massive competition from other baboons like something like the ancestor of hamadryas which were more aggressive and so then mm. they were driven um gelada baboons kind of ex- they ex- they only live in ethiopia in the highlands um mm. and so they were kind of driven up to this remote kind of plateau kind of on top of the world nothing else can survive up there yeah um 
And it's thought and that that aggressive behaviour could have, yeah, driven... And it's, it's interesting you mentioned the aggressive behaviour of the ancestral baboons. There was a giant African baboon species called Dinopithecus, which was, oh, you know, as big as a gorilla. And this was wow. a, a big baboon. And, uh, you know, stable isotope analysis indicates that it was quite omnivorous, a bit like an olive baboon. Um, so if the ancient Therapithecus monkeys lineage had to deal with these gorilla-sized aggressive baboons uh i can see why they might you know be forced up into the highlands and also another reason they were forced up because obviously with the formation of the the rift valley and all kind of the volcanic Mm. activity this opens up this kind of this massive corridor for grazers other grazers Mm. so zebra wildebeest and things like that oh so non-monkey grazers so non-monkey grazers also out competing the geladas for well the therapithecus ancestors um and so literally this highland plateau so simian mountains guasa um they're kind of the the strongholds that are left for these these geladas and then you've also like we were just talking about with the cave bear is with the rise of our own species you start to see a decline in um therapithecus numbers um oh that's interesting so So did that decline happen or well did that decline happened happened presumably when we started being less of a savanna, uh, less of a rainforest dwelling species and more of a savanna dwelling species. Yeah. So that would be, that would be a kind of end Pliocene event when, you know, the great African rainforests start to re- retract, the savannas become more widespread. I, I would imagine the Therapithecus monkeys are the first grazers on the scene. And then they get gradually outcompeted as all the, you know, the grazing ungulates, your, your antelope and your bovids suddenly turn up and say, oh, yeah, we can we can have this niche too. And then we we pitch up from the rainforest and say, oh, ugh, thunk. And I guess that would... That, guess no, that's, that's exactly what happens, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, is that, I think that's probably a, maybe a very late Miocene, very late Pliocene kind of shift and the loss of the Therapithecines then. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's kind of explains the events really well, what happened. Um, but I don't know, it's, it's incredible that they've been able to survive as a sole species, that they've, they're incredibly well adapted to living in the highlands. So it can be really, really high up in the highlands. I think it can be... Oh my God, the highlands are high? <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> so ethiopia generally the the capital is the fifth highest capital city in the world so as a whole it's it's very high up and then when you get to places like the guasa plateau that can be three thousand can i do numbers no three (laughs) thousand seven hundred meters above sea level so oh my god you can i've been to the guasa plateau and you're standing there you're above the clouds it's freezing um and it just goes to show that they're they're so well adapted. They've got these thick coats of fur, um, and yeah, they're they're brilliant. Because obviously, you used to live in Ethiopia. Have you seen geladas in the wild? What's it like? They are incredible. I think that's part of the reason why I wanted to talk about them because it really kind of moved me seeing them in the wild. Like it's the the bizarrest landscape. So you're up in the highlands. There's kind of clouds coming in because you're so high up, and you've got the weirdest vegetation as well. So you've got what look like tiny palm trees no higher than your knee a kind of what exactly so you've got a tree anymore (laughs) but so you've got the full like the trunk with like these palmy sort of looking leaves the palmy bits (laughs) (laughs) the 
they're just really cool trees okay okay um, they're really cool trees i get you <laughs> and yeah so it's basically this grass and you've got kind of lichen as well obviously because it's very high up and then you've mm. just got these i mean as i was mentioning with the social groups you can get up to a thousand individuals that come a together a thousand monkeys yeah and they're just all shuffling along. They have these padded, <laughs> padded areas on their underside, so on their like on their butt, basically. And they Lovely. just shuffle along, pulling up grass with these like human-like fingers in their thousands or in their hundreds. And they just like make these little sort of. I don't know. They they communicate a lot. So it's like mm, 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 mm. like that's what you can hear, and you can just hear chewing, and it's oh. Sounds a bit like a silent disco. <laughs> <laughs> Because I read something quite interesting about the butt of the of the gelada. Because <laughs> obviously most baboons have really, um, shall we say, um, <laughs> expressive backsides, and they they use them as like a, a sexual signalling thing to for females to show males when they're receptive, and I think vice versa. Yeah. I think like it's a dominance thing. Whoever's got the the, the most glowing butt cheeks, um, <laughs> but because geladas have to spend all their days shuffling around sitting down that has shifted is it on the chest is that where it's now the, yeah. this kind of glowing stuff is that it where is it so it's that that's actually another name that they have is called the bleeding heart monkey um, oh i love it because they have this this hourglass shaped red patch on their chest and that's exactly like you say because they're sitting down unlike hamadryas baboons or olive baboons which are continuously walking so you can always see the other individual's butt is like a signal. Um, <laughs> because the geladas are always sitting down, they, they need it to be clear. So that's why it's on their chest. And it's, yeah, it's a sexual okay. signal. And the males and if you, have... Like, if, you, if you Google uh, gelada baboons, they are quite beautiful monkeys. They're, they're quite handsome, you know? They've got these gorgeous, long, kind of luscious manes, and these lovely kind of, you know bright red trests but if you google a hammer dryas baboon they look terrifying they, and they look like yeah. they've just come from hell because <laughs> um i think we both watched a um an episode of was it mysterious planet yeah really good series mysterious planet i don't i mean we're watching it on wild screens i don't know where else it's, it's yeah i don't know where viewing. else it came out but it's episode two called the roof of africa the roof of africa that's it yeah and it has a lot about gelatas and hammer dryas and you've mm. got this quite scary scene actually where you've got hamadryas baboons just massive conflicts like lots of fighting it's it's a very aggressive society where you've yeah. just got these peaceful butt shuffling grass eating <laughs> <laughs> gelatas which are a lot more peaceful um but as you mentioned they are yeah. they're really impressive I think, I think, to look at like you've got these yeah. the males i think have i'd be happy capes. seeing geladas yeah no it's incredible seeing them um yeah, um, I think I'd be calm seeing geladas as well because whenever I see baboons, I always get quite tense because we were walking once in, um, I think it's got a place called Dedza, the Dedza Hills of Malawi. And it was me and my family and we were just strolling along in these hills. And, uh, you know, as you do, I love a hill. Um, <laughs> and these baboons, I think they were olive baboons, started coming down the hill towards us just on their daily, you know, doing the rounds. Yeah. Um, and they, they were these big males and they just look intimidating and hammer dryers are even scarier but i think i could i think i'd be happy chilling with the geladas just you know eating grass shuffling on my bum which is what i did anyway because i wasn't a crawler when i was a baby i was a butt shuffler i remember so. you saying that that's classic i think you you're made to be a gelada it's just your calling 
Yeah, I've got, you know, the bleeding heart. Oh. <laughs> no, but I have to say I agree with that. So in Ethiopia, you have different baboon species. So you've got olive, you've got hamadryas. And when you're near them, it's kind of, it's an intimidation kind of feeling. Mm. Whereas I felt quite at peace just sitting mm. with the geladas. They don't care. They're not really bothered by humans. Um, and they have these massive, massive canines, um, mm. which are very very impressive structures but they aren't used kind of as part of their diet or anything so but they're used as kind of a, a display or a warning so i don't know if you saw in the documentary roby it's incredible how they display to others so what they can do is they pull back their scalp which makes their eyelids fold back so their eyelids Ooh. flash white and then if oh. that doesn't scare off the the intruder or whoever's trying that to would, cause a that problem. That would scare me off. Yeah, I, yeah that, would, that would, would work on me. Definitely <laughs> scare me. They can pull back their upper lip and fold it over their nostrils. So you've just got this flat, oh like you've just got gums, and then you can Ooh. see these massive canines. And what that's what that's kind of how they deal with conflict is they'll just flash their eyelids, flash their upper lips, and that usually resolves conflict. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that would resolve any conflict that I had with them. I mean, 100%, yeah. <laughs> but I think... Because they're big as well, aren't they? Yeah. These monkeys. Are they are the big monkeys, I think? I mean... I don't know that they're the largest. I think drills are the largest, but they are massive. That, I think that's the difference with... So other baboons, they're very muscular and kind of they, they mm. seem more, more powerful when they're walking. So mm. geladas are sexually dimorphic. So the males are bigger than the females and they have this impressive cape of fur that mm. kind of covers them in their big bleeding heart chest thing. Mm. Um, but... They don't. They feel smaller in a way because of all the fur. I think. Oh, okay. They don't look as kind of brawny. No, I think because you can't see the muscles. You've just got like these scrawny, hairy legs with like a big cape, <laughs> and then they like flash their eyelids. So they they see you a bit kind of smaller. Um, but maybe that's, that's just so perception. Cool. And is is there anything else up there? What 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 do they live alongside? Because I assume, do they have any predators? Um, they don't, no, they're just peaceful kind of grass they're eaters. They're just vibing. Although, no, that, to be fair, with the young geladas, they are mm. more, when, obviously when you're in troops of a thousand, they're mm. quite well protected against predators, yeah. but you do have things like leopards, hyenas, feral dogs, okay. bearded vultures, jackals, and, and they could take the young ones. Okay. Um, but very but few you... things would stand up to a, a male. Yeah. But I remember I was talking to you recently, um... There was, a, and actually in that documentary as well, there was a really interesting coexistence between the Ethiopian wolf and the gelada. Yeah. Now that, that's a whole, it's an amazing carnivore, the Ethiopian wolf. So like the geladas, they've kind of been pushed into this highland mm. landscape where nothing else lives there. So you've got the I Ethiopian... think it'd be called a refuge. Yeah. Biological refuge is what it is. Yeah. Um... And so, yeah, they have the same... Would you, could you say then that they inhabit the same biological refuge? Yeah, and I think both of them would, would be counted as refugee species, which is a cool term, which I stumbled upon recently. No, I love that. I love the link between them because they're both sort of quite... They're kind of one of a kind, both of them. Um, Af the Ethiopian wolf is, I think, one of the most endangered carnivores in Africa, if not the mm. most endangered i think I think, that... I think it's the most in africa yeah because there are only 500 left in the wild um, oh my god that's nothing yeah and a lot of that was kind of 
um, as humans moved in, you had more dogs and things like rabies and canine distemper could pass Mm -hmm. from dogs to the wolves. But you've got this incredible landscape. So up in the highlands, kind of all that you get, you get a lot of rodents. So Mm. giant um, mole rats. And I think it was... Do you remember oh, you love the, a giant mole I rat. I love a giant mole rat. Um, <laughs> and possibly like 10 other species of rodents. And they're just everywhere. I remember when we were up in Guasa, in the Guasa Plateau, my mum has a phobia of rats and mice. <laughs> this was not the, not the place for a rodent hater. Because Aww. you can hear them everywhere. They're just, you turn your head and there's just scurrying and they're just everywhere. And so you've got the rodents, the Ethiopian wolves and the geladas. And they don't bother each other at all. The wolves I mean, the wolves the are, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> they yeah, bother yeah. the rodents. The wolves, yeah. are, the wolves are specialist rodent hunters, I think. But the wolves will hunt the rodents, but they can walk in and amongst the geladas and they'll, yeah, they don't bother each other. I'd say the, the main kind of threat to both the Ethiopian wolves and the geladas has been humans. Um, so kind of... Is ex- there much settlement on the plateaus, on, in the highlands? There has, there, yeah. Do humans go up there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's quite remote. It's not that easy to get there, the limited roads and things like that. But um, that is what it's one of the most fertile areas in, in the country, like really lush, green kind of terraced farming. And as soon as humans moved in and expanded agricultural land, that pushed the geladas even higher up and mm. the Ethiopian wolves as well. Um, so agriculture, I think, has been a main thing. And then Obviously, if the geladas occasionally raid crops, because who wouldn't if there's like a bunch of really, really nutritional, nutritionally rich food. Yeast. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we have a, a running joke about nutritional yeast in that I hate it and Emma loves it. <laughs> it's a good thing for It's the substitute. spawn of Satan. I wouldn't take it that far. <laughs> <laughs> I would. <laughs> oh, I know it's not your thing. Um, but obviously, if you had something that nutritional, like um, yeast, oh shut up, <laughs> <Not> <laughs> yeast. Um, farmers' fields and crops, then obviously geladas are going to want to kind of get in, go into that space, and often they get shot in retaliation. And are they being conserved? That that are there people up there saying, guys, we've got to save the geladas? Like there are more now because there was yeah. an attitude. I can't remember, it was probably a decade ago or several years ago where people were just culling them because they Mm. were seen as pests, they were seen as kind of vermin because there were so many of them and sort of a team went up. I don't know if it was part of the African Wildlife Foundation or there was also a filmmaker, I think, who made a film about geladas and showed it to local people and all the the ins and outs of their complex behaviours and kind of Mm. their personalities and that that changed attitudes. And so now they are being conserved also with the help of tourism because, I mean, I love going to see them um, <laughs> and I can imagine other people would as well because, yeah. They're... Oh, I do want to go to Ethiopia and see the highlands. I want to see the, the wolves and the geladas and the ibex and ibex the bearded vultures. Cool. I want to see them. And yeah, lamagai. Oh, yeah, the same thing. <laughs> I was like, yeah. lamagai. Well, appa- so I read somewhere that apparently we're meant to call them bearded vultures now because lamagai means lamb killer. And so to change the stigma, that because obviously they don't kill lambs, we should now call them bearded vultures. And I have to admit, I read that and I kind of laughed. But now I'm like, you know what? It can't hurt. We'll call them a bearded vulture. But I think the Highlands, it's just, yeah, an amazing, amazing ecosystem, which is mm. harsh. It's extreme. So you need a certain type of animal to be able to survive there. Um, yeah. 
but yeah kind of I don't know in a way linking back to the cave bear showing how a lot of the rise of our own species has contributed to the, the decline of others mm. both for the cave bear and and the geladas indirectly um, and now and now we have a moral and ethical and environmental imperative to do what we can to at least halt this decline and you know in the best case reverse it i think i think that's you know we, we sometimes we forget but we 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 often think i think that you know we should we just need to conserve these species from an environmental point of view you know we can't afford to lose them ecologically but actually i i quite strongly believe we have a moral and ethical one to do that as well you know we lost the cave bear let's make sure the brown bear doesn't go the same way and let's make sure the gelada isn't the last of the therapithecine monkeys yeah no i think we do have a responsibility um and hopefully as we raise awareness about these topics, more people might want to kind of get involved and, and help with yeah reintroductions or con- conservation, things like that, because we need a, a next generation of <laughs> conservationists and zoologists to kind of care. Yeah, exactly. We really do. I think that's probably a positive note to wrap up on. So I hope you've enjoyed this maybe more detailed and in-depth look at two uh, species. We will try and get more Zoology Rambling podcasts out. We're very busy at the moment, but we'll try and get back to a once a week kind of, um, you know, thing. So thank you for listening. See you next time. See you next time. We'll keep you posted for yeah updates about Zoology Ramblings. Bye. Bye. <laughs>